thank you so much for coming. And also in light of the fact that obviously Dan Tate, who hosts these events so well, and obviously had organised the entire the entire event, can't be with us. Come on to that in a moment. We have got together and we first of all figured out that yes, Dan wanted it to go ahead. And who are we? So we're York Hospital Radio, which the event is on behalf of tonight. Proceeds being split between York Hospital Radio and that part of the charity Headway, which you'll hear more about as well. We are a local charity for volunteers, provides a bit of peace, a bit of light when you're in hospital to be able to listen to the radio for free and completely staffed by volunteers. Hence, we have the fundraising nights, fundraising events like tonight. So it's part of York Hospital Radio, but it's also part of York Hospital Ball, which I presume you're all familiar with, but if not, Dan's wonderful podcast, which has been going for a fair number of years now, has interviewed the stars of yesteryear and some of the uh, more recent generations as well. Really just to introduce the three people here, for which I'm going to hand over to Dave to introduce the other two. But just to say, Dave, it's a real pleasure, because obviously not having Dan here at the last minute, you know, to be able to get you in. I think partly as well because you were yourself a part of 2012. Um, the characters of that season certainly included yourself as the press journalist to be through that period. Thank you, Dave. If you can give it up for Dave Fletch, thank you. I, I'd kind of like to start off just, just to um, say a few words about Dan and explain why I'm on the mic in, instead of him as well. First of all, thanks for coming for what I hope will be a great night to relive what we were all doing 10 years ago with two bona fide York City legends, I think it's fair to say. I'd like to say that I think Dan does a brilliant job with the podcast. I think he's, he's done probably 50 interviews now, and they've been great, you know, all, all very different. And I think, you know, for somebody who does it voluntarily, they're put together so well, and um, it's a real skill and a real talent that he's got. I think everybody's now aware of why he isn't here tonight. The most tragic of reasons is his wife, Kirsty's passed away at the age of 36, and you know I can only imagine what him and his little girl are going through at the moment. So I think all of us in this room tonight would pass on our condolences and love to Dan. I've been asked to fill it in, and I'm very keen to ensure it was it's as close to the evening that Dan planned as possible. So um, a lot of the questions that I'll be asking both Michael and Dan tonight are the ones he intended to ask the guys. So I'll, I'll probably be referring to my notepad a few times and that's because those are the questions that Dan wanted to ask these guys this evening. I've also been given a message from Dan that I'll read out now, if that's okay. He just wanted to share this with you and he, this is what he said. So I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who has come tonight to remember an iconic week in York City's history whilst also supporting the hospital radio charity. I think all of you know that my wife passed away last month very suddenly, aged just 36, which has been absolutely devastating. The funeral took place this Wednesday, and I just aren't strong enough yet to be involved in something like tonight, but I'm sure you'll understand. My wife was an incredible person who I was privileged to be with for 17 years, which included me taking her to York Scarborough on Boxing Day in 2005. <laughs> I accidentally winded her celebrating Clayton, Clayton Donaldson's goal that day in the 3-1 win, but she enjoyed the atmosphere and came back to Boom Crescent with me for the next game, next home game. Bleak 1-0 home defeat to Stevenage on a freezing Tuesday night. <laughs> We've all seen a few of those. She never returned and who could blame her? 
Finally, I just want to say thank you to the York City community for all their messages of support following recent events. They've been a real comfort to me. Our house has 55 sympathy cards that have come through the post. The first was from Ben Robinson, who I only met through the podcast about 18 months ago. Another supporter private messaged me to say he had been through the same thing with a daughter similar age to my own, offering sound advice, having been through the same ordeal, as well as somebody yesterday who doesn't know me offering me a match ticket. A number of former players have been in touch and Richard Brodie's message of support was so beautifully written, it reduced me to tears. Very humbled and very grateful to have so many people care about me. Thank you, Dan. So I, I think Paul Paul ran through the format of the evening just, just before, but just as a reminder to people what will be happening tonight. Shortly I'll be speaking to both Michael and Dan one at a time. Um, probably for 10 or 15 minutes each, just to gather their memories on what happened 10 years ago. I think then we'll have a short break and you, you'll have been given out quiz sheets. So we'll, we'll take the answers to the quizzes just before we start the second part of the event. You, you'll be able to ask, ask your own questions, probably better than mine and Dan's. <laughs> um, but no, the guys are here to, to answer any questions you've got. And there'll also be an opportunity to have a chat with both Michael and Dan and get your pictures with them. When we've, when we've wrapped up, when we've um, run out of questions. Scott Kerr sends his apologies. Scott was obviously meant to be here this evening, but um, for, for family reason, he hasn't been able to make it. So I, I better introduce these guys, two guys really. First of all, Michael, who we know as a goalkeeper who starred in both the FA Trophy final, a win against Newport, and the playoff triumph against Luton. Second highest number of clean sheets in the club's history, which um, I think we, we probably don't speak enough about, do we, Michael? Well, what an accolade that is for a goalkeeper. You know, he's he's second in the all-time list to Tommy Forgan, who we all know, you know, obviously played in the 1955 FA Cup semi-final. So, um, brilliant to have Michael here. Can we show our appreciation, guys, for Michael? And Dan as well. We all know Dan's top 10 in the all-time appearances list. Another amazing accolade. And obviously the man whose headed assist picked out that brilliantly timed Matty Blair run for that goal at Luton. So let's put our hands together for Dan. So first of all, I'll start with Michael. Going back to the first game of that season, Michael, went to Ebb's fleet. I think they had a man sent off. Then we fell a goal behind on 80 minutes. We came back to win 2-1 after two Jason Walker goals. I think the gaffer, Gary Mills, has, has been on record as saying he knew from that moment that you were going to win promotion. And you'd obviously been at the club for four years, seen what a tough division it was. Did you share his belief at that time on that day? I would say so. I think for me personally, it was probably building up probably the end of the previous season when we went on a little run. I think we finished eighth. And then obviously we came back in in pre-season and it just continued on again. And I think we secured, did we have Ash on loan yeah. previous season and we secured as permanent. So I always had a huge trust in the defenders I had. I mean, they've made a comment over the bar earlier that the mainstay of the that, that all them years was me, T.Y. and Pars. And we always we we were like in sync with each other, so we were always like saying that if we could get three centre forwards or three goals we can score or a ball playing midfielder that we're we'll, we'll there or thereabouts, and we had that with Curry, we had that with Ash Blurry and Jace. And for me personally, I don't think Jace gets the credit he deserves because he was five nine, five ten, but he was probably better, probably the best target man that I play with. It. 
and apart from maybe ranks, I mean, ranks is just an ox. But I think we knew that the gaffer was trying to build more of a squad. You now he could take one out, put one in. But I, I personally thought that something special was happening. First month or so, there was a few difficult results. I think you lost two on the bounce at home, one nil to Telford and Alfreton. I think then it got to nil nil, 75 minutes against bottom of the table Bath, and and you conceded a penalty. You remember that, Michael? And no, did I don't you? <laughs> this is Dan's question, by the way. And I definitely didn't save it either. Um, did you fear you might get sent off at the time? And do you feel what happened next proved a bit of a turning point in the season? Did they sky it? Ben Swallow, I think you. You brought him down. I think, I think you saved it, did you? Uh, yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I, I can't remember. <laughs> and then I was and that Jamie Reid got an 88th minute winner. I was terrible at penalties. Um, probably get, getting old. I thought Paddy scored. It must have been a different bath game. But, yeah, it's sometimes, even in games, Pars, T.Y., last this tackle, me making a save, Curry smashing somebody in midfield could be the turning point. So, probably a big one that... Um, I can't remember it really. If I did save it, then we've gone down the other end and scored. So if you're saying that, let's give the lads a boost for the rest of the season. I'll take that day. <laughs> Probably got to remember. But but those indifferent results didn't you didn't worry you too much? No, not at all. Season. Not at all. I think obviously as fans, fans obviously you no know, get panic in because when you win, lose one or lose two. But for us as a squad, we knew what we had, and it was all about a little bit of time or a little bit more gelling or just a, maybe a little click but we always knew that it was that it was at least a playoffs team in that team yeah I, mean, I think by the middle of September you were flying weren't you the, the football was fantastic but a great goal from Jason Walker I think you, you started that move yourself was it kind of the first time that you've been encouraged to play out from the back as a keeper everybody does it now but was it the first time that Gary when Gary came along yeah I mean my whole career was I was at Sunderland with Al Quinn and Kevin Kyle hit the nine. Little lad runs off four four two. Even under Foyley, it was hit ranks. You no know, flick on but Broads and Broads got so many goals off ranks. And then all of a sudden the gaffer comes in, changes completely, changes training. Two touch. The lads are going, what the hell's this? I don't like it. And then six weeks later, oh my god, I love this. Mm-hmm. So everything in training was like two touch. You not weren't allowed to take any more than two touch. So. The emphasis was to move the ball quickly as you possibly can and pass, pass, pass. And then all of a sudden when we brought Curry in, it's Ingy, I want you to play the full back and we'll go through Curry. We'll Curry on the ball, then we'll start the attacks from there. And then all of a sudden the press, what's the press? We talked about how we do defensively. He wanted the wingers to hug the touchline, show them inside. And he wanted the 4-3-3, he wanted the three midfielders, midfield to be tight. So if they passed in, we were, that was our trigger. So it was all new. So nowadays, everybody talks about playing out from the back and full press and all this, but we were doing that like 10 years ago. So it was all new to me. And yeah. It completely changed my game and opened up a little bit and possibly it made me express myself a little bit because you talked about the J goal. I would never hit a low ball to the winger on the opposite side. It was always straight down the middle to the big man. Terrific to hear that Gary had that tactical insight, isn't it? Because I think he's, it's, it's almost been a slur on him that he was, he's, he's just a, a builder of team spirit, which he was obviously great at. And, you know, the social side was, was fantastic. But it, it's really nice to hear that he was on the ball in terms of the press and stuff like that back then, 10 years ago. Yeah, it was, it was brilliant. I mean, I don't know if Pars agrees, but it was, you've been at the club for so long and the manager comes in and usually you get the same training session. You get a little bit of rondo possession and then shape but it was completely different under 
bells in. It was it felt quite good. You enjoy training. Yeah, you enjoy yeah. training. You, you woke up in the morning, you were buzzing to get in. And but the big thing as well is, especially with Jibo, what he built around the change room as well. I mean, he, he signed. I shouldn't really say this to the lad, but he's a great lad. Do you remember Papa Angyamang? Well, he signed him just for team spirit. He was never going to play, but the lads absolutely loved him. <laughs> and he played in the reserves, and the, the lads used to like. And he was like. He was a butt of all jokes, but then he would make jokes, and it was just like everybody was like rallying around Papa, and we all love Papa. It was like a little mascot. What was he like as a player? I can't, I can't Terrible. Him. But he was, <laughs> no, he, did he have any ability? I think he scored in a reserve game, and I think the whole first team that trained, we were all watching, we all ran on the pitch and celebrated with him. <laughs> we, we obviously enjoyed sitting in the stand and watching you guys play that season. I mean, what was it like for you sometimes as a keeper, just knocking the ball out and then watching him get on with it? I loved it. It made me laugh because I was like just watching teams trying to get the ball off us and we were not 40, 50 passes and like, you know, sometimes the fans got a bit frustrated and no disrespect to the older lot in here, they were going, tell him to get the ball forward, we need to get it forward. But it was always a plan to like basically tire out the team and trying to shift the team from one side to the other side and then exploit the space. So sometimes, obviously, when teams clicked on, they would sit in a little bit and then it was we had to be patient for them to come out before we could do what we wanted to do. But it was just it was just a joy to watch and I never knew ten years down the line, 12, 12 years down the line that all the Premier League teams are doing it now. So sometimes we get nicknamed the Barcelona of the conference and I think rightly so. I think some of the football we played was unbelievable. It was, it was really interesting how the squad evolved that season as well, wasn't it? And you know, people like Andre, who'd, who'd played a big part in the first half of the season, moved on. Some great signings. You remember Ben Gibson coming in, who, who had a real, you know, made a real impact. Could you see then he was destined for the top? Somebody like Ben having played behind him, Michael? To be fair, he came in as a really grounded guy. Mm-hmm. And he came in from the Premier League and... I always remember him, he, he got the ball and he tried a massive diag and a massive diag and a massive diag and the lads were going, calm down, just like pass a little bit. So it took him about four or five games to settle in, but fair play to him, he never came down with an ego. Mm-hmm. He always came down and he wants to listen and he was asking me, Pars and TY and Curry, what can I do to be better? So he, he was a great kid in books. I mean, I've said it on a podcast before. <laughs> what, a, what a player and yeah. I played against him a couple of times after he left and he said oh it was the biggest mistake in my career like leaving I shouldn't yeah. have left but I mean guys at our level when they've offered more money and maybe another year in your contract you, you've got to take that but he says he, it was the best football he ever played in. but Books was you could not get the ball off Books in training he was scary that good he was that good I think he should have played championship Definitely. Yeah. 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 And you obviously picked up your injury, missed the last three games of the regular season, I think, Michael. Did you have every faith in Paul Musselwhite at the time? Paul was obviously not in the best shape of his life, but did you feel confident handing him the gloves? Well, I was just glad that we were in the playoffs by then. Um, <laughs> no, Muzzy's, Muzzy's an absolute gentleman. I owe so much to Muzzy. He came in and he wasn't same again wasn't anybody of an ego you got goalie coaches to come in and I was I think 32 at the time that want to change you mm-hmm. and he came straight in and said just tell me what you need and he was always there after games putting arms around me he was more there for the mental side you yeah. know to keep me like fresh and the lads loved him I mean every Friday we'd play young v old and he would play for the old and the young lad here playing the young team and uh, he was, the lads loved it but we were just laughing about it last week so he was like such a gentle giant when you like round the place and 
when he was coaching me, but as soon as he went into Young v Old, he just turned into the Incredible Hulk. He was just screaming at people, and so he was just like laughing about it last week. But I wind him up last week. I said, you the only goalkeeper in the club's history to keep 100% clean right. sheet, so fair play to him. <laughs> How close did you come to missing the trophy final and playoff final? Was it a bit touch and go with injury? Well, initially, when I first got the injury, I think I did a front flip over Reed had pushed Smudge into me, and I done a front flip over, and I thought, why is my ankle? So I must have whacked it hard on the floor. So I woke up on a Sunday morning, it was just like a balloon. And I thought, oh no. But it basically settled down. I was probably fit for the last game of the season, but Millsy says to me, I'm just going to keep you for the Mansfield game. But me personally, I wanted to play the last game just to get my eye back in. But he said, no, I can't risk you because obviously I can't sign another goalkeeper. So no, I was always, always going to be fit for the Mansfield game. Yeah, and just explain to everybody here the chain of events uh, happened to yourself after the um, after Matt Green got sent off in the first leg of the playoffs for Mansfield. Yeah, well, me personally, I thought he should have got sent off for the first challenge because after the game, I got stud marks down the front of my chest, and then the second one, he didn't handle it. But um, you can see me screaming on TV, and I go, oh, "He's handled it. He didn't even touch it." And then the referees <laughs> bought it and sent him off. And then I've got home that night. And my Twitter just absolutely exploded. Uh, at the time, I was on private, and I thought from then on I'm going to be private. And I'm just getting death threats, and you're going to get glassed. Um, watch your back. And then I walked into the club, got called in the office, and the policeman's there saying, "Oh, we're going to we're going to give you two policemen as soon as you get off the bus." And I said, oh, "Thanks very much." So yeah, drove up to Mansfield away, like. As soon as I got off the bus, these two, it was only like a five yard walk and they've like comped me down this like path. <laughs> and then we've, we've got into the change room, they've took the light bulbs out, dark, and we're, we're all like laughing. It didn't affect us whatsoever. And then as I've walked up the tunnel, they've followed me up the tunnel and got me to the, the line. And then I've done the warm up, came back, same again. So they followed me all over. But at the end of the game, um, obviously I was at the Mansfield end and I think I had about 8,000 fans just before Blurry scored. Um, singing Ingham as a W-A-N-K-E-R and I thought fair play just keep giving me it because I'll take it and let the lads play so I had, I thought I had the mental strength to deal with it I said just keep coming give it to me give it to me and give the lads the freedom to, to play and for me that was my greatest clean sheet in the, in the shirt I think Gio Agarin kept throwing long balls in and then he switched and I kept coming and Reed tried to smash me a couple of times and I just thought I need to do this for the club just to keep that clean sheet and for me it was the, the best clean sheet of my career. I'd agree with that, definitely. Won the trophy final against Newport, Mark, you'd been to Wembley a few times and, and not been on the winning side of it. Did it feel like the monkey was off your back almost and, and I, know, I know Gary says it was really important, the trophy win, but did you feel that as players that you kind of got that victory at Wembley now and that, that helped in terms of going to the next one? Well, I, I think me, Powers and T.Y. are probably in a different boat from the rest of the lads. I think we, we knew what the experience was about and and think the, and the whole glitter of it all. And we were already you know, used to it, so to speak. So we were, we were trying to get into the lads, like try and use this game to get all your photos, all your stuff out of the way. And that's, that's what we did. And I didn't know this till the other week when at the, the stadium that they had the better results over us over the season, I didn't know that. But I've always said um, to people around time when I speak about it that I believe when we beat Mansfield that we've, I, not being arrogant, I just knew that we were going to do Wembley twice. And then for me, Newport was a day out. And it was, I had so much belief in the front three and that we would we would do it. And 
I think apart from a 30 minute spell in the first half, I think we were comfortable. I think the only save was the one-on-one -on -one with, I think I think it was Reid actually, he came on a one-on-one -on -one and that was the only save I had to make. Luton and York, not, not the best friends, I think it's fair to say, before the game. You're in quite a unique position as goalkeeper, you're closer to the sports than anybody else on the pitch. What kind of things did you hear in front of their fans during those games? You can't really hear anything at Wembley, to be honest with you. You just hear the roar. I mean, the Stevens game was like an oven, but it was more the games at their place that you would you know you hear the cockney accent and then all this stuff comes out and you just get the absolute dog's abuse but it didn't affect me when we were winning comfortably it gives me a chance to turn and wind them up but when we were one nil up i'm thinking no i can't do it just in case the your egg goes on your face but i loved it i think it was more fans the fans built it up you know the rivalry but between us and players, it wasn't too much nastiness between us. And then after the final, me and Smudge got drugs tested and we're sitting with Keane, uh, the lad, the centre half, George, yeah, Pilkington. We're sitting and I've shouted down to Jeff. Jeff, get, I've asked the drug, drug testers, can I have a beer? I've just won Wembley twice. And they said, oh yeah, so I've got a box of beer and I'm sitting there. We're sitting with medals, me and Smudge, and they're soon sitting there like depressed. And we're like, oh, here, go, lad, there's a, there's a bottle of Budweiser. And, <laughs> and they just turned and said, you just had a number. We've yeah. tried. You, you don't realise what we've done over the last 10 games. We've tried different formation, different yeah. players, different tactics. And you just were better on us all the time. I think to be fair, their players were quite gracious, weren't they? I remember seeing Mark Tyler, the goalkeeper, in the in the hotel that night, and he, he basically conceded the best team had won. Ty's looked after me at the coin yeah. throwing incident, and me and him have just walked off. We've we've all swapped shirts over the year, and he was a gentleman. Yeah. And, I'd expect that from them. Moving on 10 years, Michael, you, you've just won promotion with Scarborough. And how, how does that rank? <laughs> how does that rank as an achievement in your career? Cheers, Dave. Um, <laughs> Sorry about that. No, Dan's question again, by the way. I think we've punched well above our weight. We've got the big lad in tonight that's been unbelievable for us. 20 clean sheets, did you keep? Yeah, 20 clean sheets. Good um, Well done, Ryan. Yeah, so. To be honest with you, I think he came in a boy and left a man, being deadly serious with you. I didn't want to change him too much, he's not my goalkeeper, he's York City's goalkeeper. I've known him since he was 14, I signed him when he was 14, and he was the first phone call I made. And basically I just tried to get into his mental side a little bit, trying to make him you know, realise how good a goalkeeper he was. And by the end of the season, he was, I, for me, he's head and shoulders the best goalkeeper in the league. So it was a huge signing when we got him, and then it was... A teething period because uh, an ex York City player, Daz Kelly, left us a little bit in the in the um, dirt, uh, so to speak. And no players were signed, no preseason was organised, so it was basically scurrying around trying to get players. Every player that we approached was under contract. Now, obviously, we started off the season really bad. Big Wits conceded six at FC United. I thought, I think we might need to get rid of them. Um, <laughs> I think after that. Build them up and knock them down. I think, I think from the middle of November, we two defeats in 33 unbeaten at home uh, with a form team. I think if the season was another four weeks, I think we won the league. So it's a massive achievement for us. But next year, it's a totally different story. We'll, we'll probably have the worst budget in the league. But the, the team spirit that me and Jono uh, create, we're expecting a hopefully comfortable bottom half next year, hopefully. Do you want to be in the away dugout in the LMER next season? No, I've said that. I've said that at Wembley twice. I've said that to a few guys around town. I've talked to a few guys at Wembley twice meeting at the stadium, Dave. That wasn't confident in York City going up, and I said, no, I definitely feel they're going up. It's got the same vibe as Wembley twice. No, 
foreign team, people that want to come here with their fans, the big crowds. I fully expect them to go out and win comfortably tomorrow. I just don't want, I just see, that's what I mean, there's no confidence in them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, um, no, I know it's only Jess, but I just don't want to have that conversation. I just want a nice, easy year walking around town uh, next year. We touched on the social side earlier. That it was, it was regarded as something that was really important to that team's success at the time, and a, a big part of the manager's armory. So, Dan aside, because we won't embarrass him, he's here, but if you were to invite three players from 2012 on a night out, which three would you choose? Well, it's got to be my roommate, T.Y. And because we, we went four days without sleep, Another player was Chris Smith. So me, T.Y. and Chris Smith and Benadorm didn't sleep. We went four days solid after. And probably, ooh, probably Blurry, because he's quite funny. Yeah. I mean, he's easy to wind up, so yeah, yeah probably Blurry. He's going to keep things lively, isn't he? He's enthusiasm. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Moving on to Dan. First question I'm going to ask you, Dan, was... How surprised were you when the gaffer told you he wanted you to be a midfielder from now on? <laughs> Very. Yeah, obviously I'd, I'd spent my time at centre-half and, and full-back. Pretty similar, but it's not until you get a, a bit of a run at, at full-back that you do realise that they are completely different. Different art to defending, obviously, at full-back you get opportunities to push on. But then, yeah, to be to be asked to play centre midfield it was it, it did it took me by complete surprise and but the gaffer he just had a special way with words he just said look just do what you do best and don't overcomplicate it and it was so it was exactly what I needed to hear because I think in my time especially at, at the start of my York City career I think I got criticised for my ability on the ball I think I was never blessed too much you know with passing and my ability to sort of stay composed if you like so Gary Mills just sort of he knew what your strengths were and he just said play to your strengths and when I had to fill in for Curry who who'd been unbelievable for us all year got us playing and everything went through Scott so I knew I was never going to be that sort of player but Mills he sort of knew that and I was going to provide other strengths if you like and my job was just to try and break things up and give it to better players and I, I thought I did that towards the back end of the season. Was it something you'd worked on in training or did Gary just spring it on you be before the Alfreton match? No, we yeah, it, it was. It was just thrown. I mean, that Alfreton game, it was it, it was just thrown thrown on us. You'd obviously seen something maybe in training, like he said, training had, had dramatically changed and I think it brought everybody on and I think I was stepping onto a pitch a lot more confident than maybe than I was in the past. He just gave you that belief that you were the best player on the pitch and I needed that. I Everyone's different. Some need a rocket, some need someone to tell you how good you are and I play better when I believe I've got the trust of a manager behind me and I had complete trust from, from Millsy, from Jibo and my teammates that, you know, in that period it was complete unison and um, yeah, so we was stepped into midfield and thoroughly enjoyed every minute. I think you've been quite modest actually with your performance at Alfton that day, Dan, and just breaking the playoff. I, I remember a few passes being sprayed around it looked like Dan Parslow is Dan Pirlo now. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, were, were, were you kind of surprised yourself how, how well you did, or yeah. did, did you think, no, that's I've done that, that's a one-off, or did you think, yeah, I, I could play in this position at Wembley? Well, no, I. If you told me after the Alfreton game that I'd be playing in the same position, you know, in a playoff final, then I would have thought you're a million miles away. But 
I think, yeah, I, I I knew what I was good at. I knew what I wasn't too good at. So I, I, I was always one just to, just like I said, just try and give it to the better players. We were blessed with so many good footballers in that team. I still counted myself as a defensive-minded player. I was there to help the back four, back five, whatever you want to call it, and and start attack. So I think in that sense, you could call it as a, you know, it's an important role, you know, it's, and we had 11 cogs in that team that all played their part and we were so successful. When the gaffer went for you, Lon Ray and James Meredith in, in the midfield, are you questioning that or do, do you have complete faith in his his ability to, to select a team to do the yeah, job? No, no doubt whatsoever. I mean, that season, I... I hadn't played the majority of it. Ingy's mentioned we had such a good squad that year and I still put this year, yes, the finale was fantastic, but I, even before that, not playing week in, week out, I still thoroughly enjoyed coming into work, enjoyed being around my teammates. And yeah, it was, everybody just had complete belief and trust in each other. And when the gaffer went for three so-called defenders in midfield, we knew how dangerous our front three was. And I think he, the gaffer obviously knew that if we could nullify Luton's threats, we had so much ability and so many threats on the pitch that we were, we'd always fancy ourselves, I guess. You've been at the club for a, a couple of Wembley defeats as well as a playoff semi-final loss. When Andre Gray scored that early goal and the big roar went up from there, 30,000 fans, however many there were there. Was there an element of you thinking, here we go again? Or how did you feel at that time? Yeah, I, I think it, obviously it, it was by far from the, the ideal start. But I think we were chatting about it a couple of weeks back. I think, yes, it was a shock. And I think for a split second, we all thought, oh, that wasn't supposed to happen. But then it was a case of just, as soon as we started playing our football again, I think you just you just forget about it almost. I think Doggy was saying last week, I think he said it almost forced us to just go and express ourselves even more. And I think that's, that's exactly what we did. And the goal came at a really good time. I thought we, we were on top. We and we capitalised when, when we needed to. Ash scored a great goal, and then and then to score immediately after start the second half, it just settled the nerves. And, not nerves, but I think we, we all knew we could even we could have like performed even better. And after the rallying cry from Millsy, and then to get that early early goal, it was just yeah. I I believe from that point that our name was on the trophy, and we were going to get promoted. It was brilliant how you reacted to every setback that was thrown at you that day. I mean, it's easy to forget John Challer had to go off, didn't he, midway through the first half. And Scott Brown came on, who's, who's, who's not mentioned very much. But how hard was that? Because you've obviously planned for one game, being the midfield three that you are. And then that changes when somebody like Scott comes on. How, how do you plan for that? Well, I mean, you say we planned, but I mean, none of us knew we were playing in midfield until the morning of the game. So we didn't really do too much planning as in team shape. I think we trained well. We were full of confidence. So Brownie was a very talented footballer. And when he got thrown on, he, he played so well. Bit of an unsung hero, I guess. But yeah, like I, I think that summed up our season. No matter what was thrown at us, we, we just found always found a way I guess and yeah with Charles having to go off and then Landry slotting back in at full back Brownie came in and performed incredibly well then came the moment none of us will ever forget Monray gets the ball on the right chucks the ball in you head it on and uh, Blair he puts it in at the time I mean he obviously looks an inch or two offside when you see it on the replays but Blair was so quick wasn't he I mean he could move two yards in the blink of an eye did you 
think it was offside when it happened, or can you remember how you did, did you think this might get chalked off? No, I, I didn't really. I, I flicked the ball on and I ended up on the floor, so I sort of lost my bearings, if you like, and then I heard the roar, so I didn't actually see it go in the net. And it's not until you see Luton's reaction and the manager's reaction, and then yeah, it's only later on when you realize how far he was offside. But it went for us that day, but I, I think we we just we earned our luck, we deserved that the way we reacted, and we had numerous setbacks in the season, and we had a a slice of luck when it mattered most I guess but we grabbed it we ran with it and um, yeah we ended up obviously winning that one important game Was this something you'd worked on the train ground or was it instinctive on the day the long throw flick on and get Blair in behind No we didn't it was we didn't really use that long throw in the season and I know Landry obviously fancied it he just thought let's, let's go and I'll, with me being a bit higher up the pitch we had a a body who was a little bit taller than Jace, maybe an another body to aim for in the box, but we were by no means a, a direct sort of set-piece team that, that season, but um, we ended up scoring from two in that game. <laughs> and do you remember how you felt the final whistle down, considering your affinity with the club and how long you'd had to wait to get yeah. a chance as a league player? Yeah, I, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I just ran with my arms, just, I ran towards E. I ran backwards. Everyone sort of ran, so I think if you look back, you just see people just running around in circles. I think no one could quite believe what we'd achieved. I think it was... We, no, that's a lie. I think I think we we all knew what we were capable of, but when reality hit in and we got York back to the football league, and it was somewhere I I was desperate to play, having been you know let go as a youngster at Cardiff, and you think you're good enough, and obviously it's a it's a level that everybody wants to play at, and um, yeah, to to hopefully have earned that opportunity because I mean we were all out of contract at that point, but you still having done what we did you know you're hopeful that contracts can be negotiated and that you can play your part and improve yourself all over again you signed for gary mills twice do you think he's still got something to offer in the game i know gary said a couple of weeks ago that he would still like a, a, the next challenge in management do you think he you know he could offer something to a club absolutely yeah he's he's too good not to be in management i think he's he, like you you've touched on you know he, i think he gets tarred with this all about camaraderie and you know let's go for the drink and everything will be all right sort of thing but he's so much more than that and i think in his second spell in particular when i when i returned to play under gary i was devastated obviously as we all were to drop out of the conference and then we were all so determined to to put it right if you like and start the climb again but i still believe he he should never have been sacked quite early on in that season yes we hadn't had the best of starts but i still believe that we would have turned around so yeah answer your question i still think he's more than capable of of managing at a good level and just looking at how it ended at york dan how, how much did you appreciate everybody turning out for your testimonial year in the way that they did it at the um, testimonial game and at, at your dinner. It was just a, a lovely way to sign off my career and, and my time at York. I was obviously extremely disappointed not to not knowing when your last game is. I think it's, it's nice to be able to go out on your terms. So I, I didn't have that closure, but then I was very lucky to be offered a benefit year because the chat next to me, obviously, we both provided some great service and for whatever reason I was fortunate to to receive one so yeah and then to get the likes of Ingy and all these teammates who who have shared all these fantastic memories with it was just brilliant the game fans all everyone just to to see you all again I guess and just just even for that 10 minutes that I had on the pitch it was nice just to say you know just to get the boots back on and 
and just say bye-bye if you like. Real emotional night that was and I was still really struggling with my health at that point. I I, I mean I was knackered before the game started and I could I could hardly stand up by the end of it. But yeah, it was a night I'll never forget and then obviously we had a few more events that year and the fans who continued to show their support and um, just to chat stories and chat about all the all the good times and stuff. It's, um, it was just a really, really nice way just to close that part of my life and for me to be able to just move on. I think it was um, it was really important. And just finally, Dan, share, share with us where you are now health-wise and how you're finding life after football. Yeah, so like I always, I wake up every morning and I, I honestly think I'm I'm really lucky. It could be a lot worse, but at the same time, I, I still struggle with not having the ability to do what I once could before. I still struggle day to day as in mentally fatigued and I get good days and bad days but like I said I'm still standing and I know there's some people who are a lot worse than me but I've started a new career. I'm trying to I'm training to become an accountant. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Completely different challenge and I've always loved a challenge so yeah I'm a year into that role and football now as a fan and still follow York from from the sideline. Lovely. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Michael. I'd just like to say what a pleasure it was to to both report on these two guys and and to deal with each of them in terms of post-match interviews and everything like that. You always knew both of them. You'd get a good, honest appraisal of whatever had gone on in the previous 90 minutes. And just two real great guys to deal with that York City were very lucky to have for so many years and, and still lucky to have coming to events like this, I think. Thank you, guys. So, yeah, I'm just going to um, go around. We've, got, we've actually got what I think is a really good set of questions. We've got some jokey ones, but we've got a lot of interesting ones. So we'll try and get around everyone. Uh, let's start at the back. This is for Michael. You always seem to have a lot of banter on the field with a certain bald-headed striker, Kevin Ellison. Was that friendly banter or...? Even now, uh, me and Kev still talk to each other. I've got a lot of respect for Kev. and It was always banter. Uh, me and Kev played together at Stockport. Um, I went alone for a month under Cotton Palmer, possibly the worst manager ever playing under. And it was Ricky Lambert, remember Ricky Lambert signed for Liverpool and Kev was there and we just kept in touch and it was never, it was always good banter and then you can always see when he, he came to mark me on corners he tried to grab a certain area and stuff like that and he tried to stand on my toes but it was never, I mean we always give each other a hug and we'd always have a pint after the game though but Kev's a really, uh, really good guy and and he's still playing. He just messaged me the other day. Is there a contract at Scarborough? And I said, yeah, we'll offer you a two-week con- uh, two-week trial if you want. <laughs> the next one is a bit like it's a bit like a journalist type of question, but it's a biggie. When Mr. Askin is longer in place, will you and Jono come back? That's up to Jono. I I don't want to sound too controversial. Uh, I don't think he'll come back when Miguel's still here, to be honest with you. I think there's too much happened. Jono's kept it to himself, and he said one day he released that what really happened. He kept it to himself to keep the club where it's at. He didn't want to cause trouble. He didn't want to be about all about him. I know what happened, and the truth hasn't really came out, if I'm honest with you, but he's got so much with... Jason, I don't think he'll come back. But if the club changes hands in the meantime, it's all roses at the moment with us. But 
everybody knows you go up the league, the pressure's on, could change dra drastically in a, in a click of a finger. So we've got to keep doing what we're doing. And I was just telling Bar Pars at the, at the bar, he, he's been offered two jobs this last two weeks and he's knocked them back. He wants to stay at Scarberry. He's applied for 50 or 60 jobs. He's got his pro license. He never got a sniff, never got an interview. He had the interview for the Scarborough job and he got it and then he feels that he's got some loyalty towards Scarborough and, and, the, and the players so I think that's that, that's the measure of the man. Yeah, next one, I, I guess this kind of ties in with the game tomorrow. Kind of deep as well, go for it. Yeah, well I just want to start by asking Ryan, is John Lewis fit for tomorrow or not? <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to answer, don't worry. He he wants to keep it to himself. He doesn't know what day of the week it is. <laughs> Really, lads, so you are probably our last set of legends looking back over the last 10 years. I guess I'm interested to know what you think of the last 10 years and what you think you did to kind of get that status. I think for me, we're maybe getting it back a little bit after Brackley, um, but it doesn't feel like it's just success. Do you know what you did as players to get that relationship with the fans? Like you, I think obviously I don't watch, get to watch York every week, but I have, a, I have come to watch... You do sense there's a bit more affinity with the fans, the players, the club and the, and the fans. And I think there's been a real effort to try and forge something again. Obviously, there's been a lot of hurt. There's been a lot of disappointment between the 10-year Wembley success and then to find ourselves, I, I still say ourselves, in the Conference North. And I played my part in that. You know, I, I returned to the football club and unfortunately couldn't keep us in the conference and I was really determined to try and do my bit to turn the tide if you like it. It wasn't until I came back that you realised how far disjoint, how disjointed the club was I think. It was so bitter, toxic, just almost just all these neg and then as a footballer your your job is to try and win games of football but when there's so much animosity going around as well it's hard not to soak it up and I, that does sound a bit like an excuse but I think we're all human. We're all we all hear what you know what's been said. What we can try and sort of control, if you like. So I do get a feeling now that tomorrow's the start of York back where they should be, and I truly believe, like he said earlier, I, I think tomorrow will be a positive result. And then, yeah, I do. I do. I, I, I just think they're going to get the job done tomorrow. I really, really do. And then it's about building on it. John Askey's come in. He's obviously doing something right. And I think if he can be back and if he can build another squad. I mean, he's done well at conference level as well. You need to remember, you know, he, he had success at Macclesfield. And, you know, he knows what to do at conference level as well. So I think we've, I think York have got a good a manager who knows this level and you know levels above so there's no reason why John Askey can't be at the helm for a little while and hopefully all positive and York will get back to where we all want them to. Um, next question for Iggy could well be the last question depending on how you answer. My question is what was the pinnacle of your career representing Northern Ireland or winning at Wembley twice? I want them joined up there. <laughs> No, obviously, club-wise, Wembley Tyson's the pinnacle of my career. Coming from Belfast and signing for Sunderland in the Premier League team was obviously up there. But the Northern Ireland thing's a little bit different because I was a Catholic growing up, played for Clinville, which is like 400 yards away. And obviously the national stadiums, Limfield, which is the biggest Protestant team. And I played in 98-99 season and I was getting coins and Mars bars and all sorts thrown at me. And I mean, I was getting 
as an 18 year old it built me up and I didn't really know what reception I was going to get when I came on against Germany and it's possibly the single most shocking thing I've ever seen in my life when I came on I got a stamp the cop they called the cop behind the goal and they all stood up probably 99.5% all Protestant and they've all stood up and given me a stand ovation and I was like wow and then the only time in career where I was thinking oh my god I've got to concentrate in the game I don't know what, what was that all about do you know what I mean? And it made me like stand up, and I was absolutely shocked. And that was the one, but the one moment in my career where I was like taken aback. And um, so that that moment in my career is probably the best moment because I wasn't expecting it from a off-field football point of view, but from a from a football point of view, it's obviously. I mean, these guys mean the world to me, and I mean, I'll do anything for these guys, and, and that's the sort of the the spirit that we've got. And I'm hoping this is every five years that. I'll meet for a, for a piss up and, and talk about Wembley twice. Uh, you both mentioned all the good players you played with York. They were the best players you played with outside of York. When I got released from York back in 2015, I ended up signing for Cheltenham, who just dropped out of the league. So ended up signing Gary Johnson, put together a completely new squad. I think there was like 15 new signings. And yeah, out of that Cheltenham group, probably have to say Dan Holman. I mean, it's quite a random name. I don't know if anyone's heard of Dan Holman. He banged in a few goals, and that season he was incredible. Yeah, we won the league quite comfortably in the end. It was that's and Forrest Green who were pushing to get out of the conference. And um, yeah, he he, um, he was incredible. Anything he hit just went in that year. Both-footed, real clever footballer. I mean, he used to, tra- he used to obviously train against him every day, and my sort of player, really, because he, he sort of, he was always thinking about how he can get the edge over you know his opponent and he's a real player who sort of loved to study and really put the hours in to try and better himself so um yeah if you have a chance google dan holman mine would probably be a toss-up between stephen davis at rangers who was with me at northern ireland or julio arca at Sunderland. and i want to throw in thomas helmer because there was one game we played a reserve game we beat aston villa 7-0 and ricky sabrigia He's obviously connected to the football club. He's my reserve team manager at Sunderland. And he says to Thomas, Thomas, you never give the ball away tonight. And he went, ah, coach, ah. And he was just like a cigar. He was like, obviously won the World Cup of Germany. He was about 36 at the time. I don't know why really never played him. He just used to sit in the reserve team and just sit as a sweeper and just spray balls for fun all over the place. He was just so relaxed. But Julio had natural ability and... They were the same again. Never, never give the ball away. I just, I just like footballers that you kept the football. I mean, I obviously I'm coaching now, and you get these young lads that are overlaying when they do a nutmeg, but the next touch to kick the ball out of play, and it really annoys the living daylights out of me. So I just like people that used to keep the football and take the pressure off you. The most popular question of an eye, actually, apart from who's Papa Ike Bang. Now my question is about the, not about the Wembley double, about what came next. I can remember vividly. In May, there was an open-top bus tour into the centre of York, reception at the, I think it was the Mansion House, the Guildhall. The chairman spoke about another promotion, and I think Gary Mills followed suit. Now, perhaps carried away a little bit by the euphoria of the occasion, but both of them, I recall, spoke in terms of another promotion year. When we get into the next year, 12-13, by about Christmas time, I think City were about mid-table. It was getting quite well, but then suddenly the season seemed to, for whatever reason, go wrong. And it wasn't so much York were losing, there were lots and lots of draws. And I think we ended up somewhere near, just just above the relegation zone. And then Gary Mills, at that point, I think in March, 
early March was dismissed. My question is, what, what went wrong? Did he change tactics or formations or...? Obviously, we, we were slipping slightly. The performances, I still believe, they weren't too far away, but like you said, there were a hell of a lot of draws. And we went on this run where we just couldn't get, I think we went 10 or 11 games without a win. A lot of draws. We played, we were still playing okay. Our confidence, believe it or not, was still fine. We still had belief in the group. And I still, to this day, believe that the panic button was pushed too soon. I still think we had enough in that dressing room to stay in the Football League. Obviously, Nigel ended up coming in and it was a bit of a Sam Allardyce job in the end to sort of just make sure that we didn't get relegated. And we just did enough, obviously, with that, that staying up down at Dagenham. And then Nigel then built his squad together and kicked on. And we, we almost did get that promotion that Gary Mills and and the chairman was um, was was talking about. But yeah, you can question maybe some sign-ins as in the recruitment, was recruitment good? I mean, we had a really strong group and I think the gaffer brought in a few players we believed could add to the group, but didn't quite pan out that way. But you know, that happens a lot in football. But yeah, I don't know what you think about Ingi. Do you have any different views on that? I can't remember that much, but all I can remember that season was when Wordle came in that well, I think we had about nine games to go and we were winning where we on the table still lead we're still not safe we went I think on the, on the world towards the end of the season we won like five or six out of nine games we won we kept going in and saying are we safe no we're not safe even three games to go we won again we walked in I was still not safe and I went oh my god we've got to go to the last game of the season but teams around us we kept winning but I always remember Pars like you played DM that day you played DM that day uh, defensive midfielder that day at Dagenham but what you don't know is the goal that Smudge scored was in a set play from our half down the middle of the pitch that Wordle had set up we had two he had two forwards that slowly walk around the D my trigger was when they crossed Smudge would sprint to the penalty spot and I would hit his chest what Smudge was supposed to do was lay it off for a striker running in but he turned and scored himself so it was a set play so nobody knew that it was a set play that we worked on for time and time again perhaps the most serious question of the night for Paz ask if you ever got that new kitchen that you went on the telly for oh yeah <laughs> yes we finally we got a kitchen yeah we didn't win any, we didn't win any money do we so um, we had to save up a bit longer to get the kitchen but yeah finally no more house renovations we can now just park all that enjoy living in our nice family home and that was my wife who dragged me to that by the way I got I, I got in from training one, one afternoon and she said oh um, I've just had a phone call we're going for an, an audition in Leeds I was like audition for what she said oh we're going on a TV show I was like oh my god yeah we just went to Cosmopolitan Hotel in Leeds and it was just a room full of couples and we got through certain stages so like the first stage you had to it was like a general knowledge quiz i got us through that bit then we had to do like a quick five minute vt just telling us about a bit about us emma was chatting about how we desperately needed this new kitchen so yeah we just went on and on and on and then yeah and then we had a call to say can we go over to salford to to film we're going to go on and do it so it fell on a day off so i was like yeah let's, let's go and do it i mean we didn't win any money so like obviously it just took a little bit longer to save for the kitchen but um yeah we've we're all sorted now so house is all done my question is about the 2013-14 season so obviously it's, it's kind of a strange one i guess for both of you because danny danny you got injured quite early on in the season so obviously didn't get to then play part in the playoffs for whatever reason um and my view it was obviously completely different because 
obviously this fantastic young goalkeeper Nick Pope would then come in and, and kind of nab your spot, which I think a lot of York fans kind of felt was harsh at the time on you, but then it obviously transpired to be probably the correct decision. So for... <laughs> for <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. No problem. So, I guess, well, I guess the question is, is kind of on that. So, if from your, from both your perspectives, how was it to kind of be in and around the squad but not be a part of that? Because obviously, it was, it was probably, I'd say, from my, my point of view, it was the last time that, as a York fan, I really felt some serious pride about the club. Yeah. Like it was a really good thing happening. If you go back to the time, I thought I got stitched up massively and it's never came out and it's going to come out now. <laughs> so what, ha what happened was I was carrying a groin injury, I had a hernia and Wordo was saying to me, we've got no money left in the budget, I've spent all my budget in the summer, you need to play. You're going to have to take Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday off, train Friday, play Saturday. I was playing at 70% and I, was, I got to the point where I played September, October, November. And I pulled him and said, Gaff, I can't do it no more. I said, I need to go and get it sorted. So I got it, went and got it sorted. And I think they brought in, was it Aaron McCurry? Maybe an Aaron McCurry. So I had to still sit on the bench while I was like letting this settle down. But then I came back in and kept two clean sheets in three games. But the funniest thing, and Paz will tell you, was I walked into training and I seen this big six foot seven goalkeeper. And I went, for fuck's sake. <laughs> and then Torch had come in and said, Gaffer wants you. And I went, come on then, I want you as well. So I walked in and I was fuming. I was absolutely fuming. So training was delayed an hour because the three of us, well, mainly me and Torx having to go at each other and Gaffer's just sitting there. So this is what Werther was like. Werther just like let it go on and on and on. Me and Torx were like having, like having a go and he basically made a point. He said, you don't come for enough things. And I went, I've just went to Northampton with the lad at Wrexham Tozer and I said, I've caught about six crosses on the penalty spot. I kept clean sheet 2-0. I can Fenway hasn't scored. So you, you threw a young centre-half in Tom Allen, who I've looked after and kept the clean sheet. So about an hour later, Werther just turns and goes, well, we've got this opportunity to sign a future England goalkeeper. Deal with it or piss off. And I went, why did you not tell me that at the start? I didn't know he was that good. So I went out training and I see him train. I went, oh my God, he is good. <laughs> so I went, so if he had told me that before, I wouldn't probably have like, went mad. But then I've done the old Twitter thing. I was just, I was, and you live and learn by your mistakes, and I don't regret it. I was just, I wanted to play for this football club, and I, I shouldn't have done the Twitter thing. But looking back, it was a, a moment of madness. I mean, I said, ex-York City goalkeeper. Do you know what I mean? It was just me trying to vent my frustration. But the next day, Chris Brass has phoned me. I want you to come to Bury. I went in the world, though. Can I go to Bury? No. I went, what? I says, I'm out of contract in the season. I need to look after myself. Obviously, you don't see me as future. And he went, I wish you hadn't done that because I'm going to give you a two-year contract in the story. I said, why did you tell me that yesterday? I want to say So it was all, it was me venting my frustration, but obviously, Popey was Popey and Popey was different class and he's gone, like, I've got a bit jet lag. I, I came back from New Jersey on uh, Wednesday and I missed the game last night and I opened up to about three messages and he had, us, he had an absolute worldly last night. So... He's, he's top, top notch and he's far better than me, but at the time I just wanted to play for the football club. But we nearly got promoted, didn't we? So it's the right thing. You just saw, yeah, yeah you saw his ability early on. You knew he was, he was still raw, but he had, yeah. he had the attributes. You just knew he had, the, like you said, his physique. Yeah. He had a uh, confidence, and I, I was a, I think I played with him for about 20 minutes before I, I ruptured my ACL. But uh, so, like you guys, I was then watching and you just saw. 
you know how how good he, he and he grew he really did grow up last season and we were fortunate to have him and we he did get really close to obviously getting over the line i mentioned before about gibson he was a really nice grounded person who would come to me and ask what do you think and for me he would try and like murder a kick he would try and like hit as hard as he possibly can and i would just say to him it's not about how much power you put in it, it's about your technique. If you if you relax more, you'll actually kick it further. And like, and all of a sudden he started relaxing, he started to get better, and he used to come to me and say thanks. And he was a really, really, really nice lad. And I still keep in contact with him now. He's, I mean, I wish him all the best, but I probably got a little bit of bad press from my own doing, but it, it was just hurting and I, that I thought I got through under the bus a little bit and it never came out in the public. Those guys want the pass. When you was at Cheltenham, did you ever think you'd get the opportunity to come back to Yarsh? There's a bit in the back of your mind where you'd need a few things to change, obviously, to, to, to get back to York. I mean, I was fully focused on, I had a, another good opportunity, I had a good football club. Yes, it was a long way from my now home, which is York, but it was a good football club who were determined to get back into the football league and that year was probably my the best football I'd played. I mean, I played the majority of my football at York but I'd probably say my most consistent season was that year, 13-14 months at Cheltenham. Played centre-half, forged a really good partnership with Aaron Downs. You know, we were similar age, we sort of had a good strong spine of the team. So yeah, like I... And then on promotion back into League Two, I, I played the first 25 games, I think it was, and we were doing okay. We were sort of mid-table-ish, just below, and Gary Johnson just pulled me and he, he said, I'm bringing in, similar to what's happened with Ingy there with Popey, he said, I'm bringing in a, a young centre-half who I think can kick us on a bit. You're a long way from home, he said, it's up to you. He said, I'm not forcing you out. He said, but if you want to look and you want to try and sort of get back up north, he said, then you can. So I I was commuting. I mean, that whole 18 months I had a Cheltenham, I was back and forth. I was on the road a lot, just traveling back up when, you know, the odd day off and lodging at my parents' house during the week. So it, it was off the field. It was really tough. But whenever I was playing football, I loved it. And then Millsy had been on the phone for about a month. He, he was trying to get me back. And I didn't, I, I was still happy at Cheltenham at the time but then it was almost whether he told Gary Johnson that you know that um, he was keen as well and then he just said as soon as I got the green light from Gary Johnson at Cheltenham I just rang Mills again and said yeah let's let's make it happen and I came back pretty quickly after that. I think I've asked you this before but when, when, I, when Andre Gray scored that goal at Wembley the first minute we literally just walked into the stadium we just we got our seat we never even sat down when he scored that goal when it bent well it looked like he bent it into that far corner i've never seen a striker he hit it and he hit it wrong but it came on the inside and i thought did he mean that or was it a miss hit it was an absolute shank because i've never seen a striker hit a ball like that and i thought my god it was no, it, he right. didn't hit it clean. Thank you for that. He didn't that, hit it. I well, thought, it's not as good as I thought he was then. But as a goalie coach now, you have to train the clean hits and the unclean hits, as Witz will tell you. It's probably harder to save the un because you're expecting a clean hit every single time. But what us players wind up is Charles, because Charles should have made a challenge on the sideline. He should have smashed, I think, the winger. Um, Wilmot. Robbie Wilmot, was yeah, it? Wilmot, yeah. yeah. Should have. We talked about it on the Zoom call the other day, and usually 
me being the man of Irishman, I like boot the ball as high as I possibly can or smash it into the opposing fans and start having a go. But I just grabbed the ball and I think Doggy asked for it and I rolled it to Doggy. And I always remember, I, I say this to everybody, I always remember we had the ball on the halfway line, we were in formation, they were celebrating and we just waited. And there was a couple of commands and a couple of claps, but for about three minutes we just sat there waiting for them. Then all of a sudden, when the referee blew the whistle, we just went, okay then, we'll just start playing. And we started playing. And about 10 minutes later, the Luton fans went quiet yeah. and they knew what was coming. When, when that goal went in, any game I've ever been in in my life, I've never, that 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 noise, that piercing noise from 31,000 Luton fans, it was like, oh. But for you to believe and do what you did after that, it's just remarkable because you bossed the game after that. And, and, I, and we were just like, oh no. It was that sinking feeling. We, we bossed this team, and then, and then for what he did after that, after the first two minutes, was was remarkable. Really, so fair play. In the when we faced season, who was the best player you played against, and how much did Millsy put into the how much thought did he put into the opposition each week? Was he bothered? Oh, he just concentrate on, on you guys. I'll answer the second part because that's just easy. He was purely about us. There was a bit of arrogance, but it was it was more confidence in the group. He said, let's not waste too much time. Let's not worry about what anyone else is doing. If we control and do what we are capable of. And he, and he really did focus on that. I mean, go, going back to the very start, I think Dave asked Ingy a question about being more than just like a, you know, a team builder. Like personally, like when Millsy came in, he, he was like, Paz, you're going to have to play right back for me. And uh, it, was a, it was a bit new and... But like he just told you what your jobs were. And he touched on the front three, force him inside. That that's where all our strength is. And like he went through every single player, and you knew that you had an option there, an option there, or one, two, three, and they were trigger points all over the pitch. So like we didn't spend hours and hours doing shape. Like Nigel Worthington, for example, he's the other end where it was quite monotonous. It was quite sort of deliberate. You'd spend so long doing eleven v eleven. Whereas Millsy was, he it was a bit more punchy, a bit more like everyone knows what they're doing. Let's just rest up and we'll and we'll go and do it. It was very much focused on we are better than them and we'll just go and prove it, basically. His philosophy was, it's all about us. If we turn up, the best that we can possibly do will beat anybody in the league, and that's what he tried to inspire. For me, it was more verbal organisation. So. If they played 4-3-3 and then the 9 and they brought the two wingers back, he wanted my full-backs, me to tell the full-backs to go all the way to the edge of the box to re to repossess the ball. Recycle the ball, isn't it? Ball, yeah, yeah. Recycle the ball. I want you tight. They don't turn. I want you to put it back in the box. So it was, if they play the front two, you want Curry sitting. So you had the two centre-halves mm -hmm. Curry and your full-backs pushed on the, the wingers. It was, it was the real detail, wasn't yeah, it? It was, it? Detail. it was stuff like that where I hadn't been taught that before. And like, as a full-back, you're thinking, oh, I'm on the halfway line here. So, uh, because I'm, I'm a centre half, really, and I, you know, nosebleed if I get too far forward. But, but when things like that, he's, you know, a player dropped in, as in, and he's five yards from the penalty box. You think, why are you still on the halfway line? Go with him because you're then in a better position to put pressure on and pick up the second balls and all these things. I learned so much at an age where I was coming into my prime. And I, yeah, it opened my eyes really as to, and it was a whole new way of, of football and I absolutely loved it. Basically, your roles, you knew your roles and responsibilities. And when you go back to the final, what Pars and the lads didn't 
were nervous about when we when he named the team with three defenders in midfield. They knew what the rules and responsibilities. Everybody knew because he spoke about it. Everybody knew what he wanted from the two wingers, what he wanted from Jace, what he wanted from Curry, the full backs and halves, and obviously me. So it's everybody knew the rules and responsibility. It was flat four three three, never changed four three three. We played four three three. I can't remember playing another game. No, every he, single game was four three three. It was like that was he, he was so confident that like that would work against no matter against any formation, against any personnel. And like like he said, it, it just he kept it simple, but at the same time, there was a real depth and a real sort of like like it's not until after I finished that I I've had a chance to take stock and realise how every decision that was made like there was a like, there was a real positive consequence, and it's not like when we reflect and we look back on the success, everything happened for a reason, whether it be you know walks into York, it's all just. It's all part of like it's not just because he can't be bothered to train or there was a there was a method behind the madness and I think when things go wrong it's a, it's an easy shot you know it's a free pass really to to criticise but as a player he was it was a, a brilliant time to um to be a part of of that group yeah it's I felt ten feet tall every time I went out on the football pitch. Thanks guys I guess final question for me with it coming on to obviously it's ten years to the day today and then obviously tomorrow could potentially be my next promotion on the big game. Just for all three of you, what's your thoughts ahead of the game tomorrow of where York City are at? I'm not too qualified to, to answer that. Porks. I haven't. I've, I've kind of. Once I finished reporting on the press, I think the first game I I came back and covered. York had been on this big long run with Steve Watson, and the first game I came back and covered was Altrincham at home, and and they got beat. So I kind of thought, my 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 might be best if I stayed away from now on. But I don't know. What, looking at it from afar, what I really like about John Askey, just looking at the results, is is the one 0 wins. I know that's not spectacular, but it's. It's a real art to win 1-0 every week in football. It's not easy, especially the lower down you go. You know, it's it's hard to get that defensive organisation. So I think that's that's one thing that stands the team in good stead for tomorrow. And I just think you guys, I mean, it's, again, just looking from afar, watching the attendances come in every week, you know, 4,000, 5,000, crazy, isn't it? And that... Surely that's got to have an effect tomorrow. 7,500. Sounds like it was, I know it was a bit of a fiasco with the tickets, but it sounds like could have probably got 10,000, 10, 12,000, which is just crazy, isn't it, in level six football? So I think, you know, you guys making all that noise tomorrow got to have an impact. So yeah, I'm, none of us can be confident, kind, because nerves come into it. We all so much want it to happen tomorrow because we know how hard it has been to get out of this goddamn horrible division. So you just want it to happen this season, because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's almost a bonus, because I don't think anybody expected the team to be in this position. So if you can do it tomorrow, you can't, I don't want to curse it, but you can't see York City going down to that division again. So it's vital that it happens tomorrow. And, you know, just, just let's make it happen. It would be such a good feeling this time tomorrow, wouldn't it, that we can all go away and enjoy the summer. And we're now not where we want to be, but we're a step closer to where the club wants to be and needs to be and should be. Yeah, I agree. I, I I think that tomorrow, with my heart on my head, I, I do believe York will get the job done. And um, I'm sure the players like Rise sat here and they're just desperate for three o'clock to come now. You know, it's, been, it's probably been a long, 
a long week. They just want to get out of there because when that whistle blows, you forget everything. And it's a game of football, and it's it's just that's what you can control. That's that's when it's showtime. That's when you can do something about it. So um, yeah, I'm sure they'll all be um, itching to go. And um, yeah, come five o'clock, back in the conference. Well, I've now experienced both sides of it, playoff finals as a manager and a player, and it's far worse as a manager because you cannot affect what goes on the football pitch. I was more nervous with Scarborough final than I was playing at Wembley. But I said, I've said previously, I think they'll win tomorrow. I'm bringing my daughter for the first time. Now, I know I've done a bit, little bit of a wind-up on Twitter saying I'm coming for a scout report. I'm not bringing a book at all. I'm not bothered. I'm just going to enjoy the day. But the only thing I would say, since I left the club in 2016, I've came to three games and they've lost all three, so I'm not the bad luck. <laughs> so that was, uh, it was the, the floodlight failure at Geisley. 2-1, 2-1 FA Cup against Altrincham. And then I came to BPA this season when you go beat 3-0, so... I'm hoping that changes tomorrow, so I might not actually turn up now because you've all booed me, so... You're not leaving here, that's it. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Can we have a big round of applause, please, for my program with Dan Parker. I think, I think Parker's are back up here. I want to say a big massive thank you to Michael Wife from my time obviously came to a quick end. Probably didn't get the send off that I, I wanted to have. Didn't want to have, couldn't say my goodbyes. But Michael keeps me associated with the football club. Sends little now and again is what he means. You no know, little pictures and it means a lot to past players. And I told him before that the job he does for past players. I mean the club have only recently started doing inviting past players back in to do stuff i think there needs to be more for past players any game i i want to come to i have to buy a ticket i think why can't you give a certain amount of free tickets donnie's making the effort now to obviously get that connection but i think michael you started that and i want to thank you personally for all your work But just to say thank you everyone for coming tonight. Really, really appreciate your support. The support for the charity. Thank you very much indeed. We really appreciate it. Thank you.